everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process. I'm, of course, your host, Greg Wareham. we got a great guest for you today, Mr. Kevin Salm. Kevin, welcome to the show. Greg, thanks for having me. That intro music, like, I feel like I'm walking out of the tunnel, like, right? for an NFL game or something. I'm ready to go. It, it, exactly, right? Yeah. And you're an athlete, so you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Kevin is with EXP Realty in Morristown, correct? Correct, and specifically with the Socorro Group. Okay. It's a team, yep. Got it. And I know you've been in real estate for, for a couple of years, but we're going to get into that and in, in all of that. You know, one of the things when we we're talking to Kevin about bringing you on the show, you have a very interesting story uh, riddled with challenge and riddled with rebuilding and different things you needed to do to get to where you're at today. So, uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I recently got into the real estate world like two years ago, right at the Perfect time when the market's like just ripe for new agents to really, you know, find some success. So, Welcome to the party, Kevin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my whole story kind of started uh, when I was 17 mm -hmm. in that I had a traumatic brain injury playing high school football. Um, specifically, it was called second impact syndrome. And I can get into like the specifics of it, but yeah, second impact syndrome. So I want to, let's talk about it, Kevin, because I know that you were a uh, extremely good high school football player. You're looking to go to college to play football. And, you know, and my understanding of what's going on, you were, you were hurt on the field. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So essentially this was like 2007, like before people started talking about concussions like they do today. Right. So I basically had a really bad headache after a game. And I was a senior captain, fullback linebacker, so I was sticking my face in every single play, uh, playing both ways, like how most high school teams operate. And I had a really bad headache after a game that like never really went away. I know you play football, so I'm sure yeah. you've experienced some headaches in your day, so that wasn't really abnormal. They didn't talk about it. Yeah, so I'm thinking, all right, I'll sleep it off and it'll get better. But the headache never really got better. It right. was, and when I was running around at practice uh, or even at gym class, it felt like my brain was like bouncing inside my head. Mm. So I underlying, I like knew that something was more seriously wrong than what I would typically experience with a headache. But again, so you it, did the prudent thing and decided not to play. Uh, not quite. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, let me go to my coach as a 17 year old right. you know, young man who looked up to this guy and wanted him to think that I was tough, quote unquote. Right. And, uh, be like, yeah, your senior captain's going to sit out for this game because he's got a headache. You know, I just didn't see that flying very mm -hmm. well. So I ultimately decided to take four Advil instead and not tell anyone right. that my head was hurting me. It's a solid plan. It's yeah. Good. That sounds like a 17 year old plan. <laughs> it, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not very well thought out or future thinking, Sure, but yeah, I played in the fourth game of our season and we were 0-4 at the time. We didn't win. We weren't making the playoffs and it's a stat that I don't love saying, but we were the only team. I was the only graduating class under my coach who currently still coaches today, who's never made the playoffs in his like almost 30 years of coaching football. He's only not made the playoffs three years. And it was the only three years that I played varsity football. Uh, so I didn't want to be like that guy. All the more reason for you to play. Exactly. Yeah, no, right? I get it. Yeah. You yeah. don't let him down. Yeah. So ended up playing, got hit in the head a couple more times. It was kind of like, close to the end zone, reaching out, trying to dive for a touchdown. And a defender came in, you know, on like my right side, went helmet to helmet, had some blurred vision, but you play football. Sure. So, you know, like you're a yard away from the goal line. Like you're thinking, oh, am I no, gonna... adrenaline kicks in. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, I'm going to score a touchdown. I can almost see straight. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and you were playing fullback in that situation, right? We ran the wing T. So like, Got it. I'm pretty much a running back. Got it. So score a touchdown on the next play, but on the next offensive series, I am running the ball again. Again, my 
blurred vision starting to ensue. It's like super foggy that day. You couldn't even see like 10 feet in front of you. So I'm like, is it sweat in my eyes? Is it the fog? You know, what's going on with my vision? But I mean, ultimately the play that ended my football career, I was kind of just a normal run, just received the the handoff from the quarterback. And then obviously we were 0-4, so it wasn't too long after I touched the ball that there was defenders wrapped around my legs. Right. So I'm going down, and then a linebacker comes in, and all I remember seeing is just like white shoulder pad coming right at my face. So he pretty much like made impact with my head, and then my head hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And after that, I thought that the like it should have been a flag for a late hit because right. I was already almost down. He was just yeah. like let's, finishing let's me Let's talk off. about the penalty. Let's not talk about your injury. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I get up and be like, right. why did ref didn't throw a flag? But when I stood up, I couldn't feel my legs. Did you just collapse right away? It was like rubber. Like I, I had some ability to walk and like stand up. I could tell something like neurologically and like the word neurologically wasn't obviously going through my head at the time. Yeah. It was more like I have a concussion. I can't feel my legs. Like my brain hurts. And I can't feel my legs. My brain hurts. And I can't feel my legs. I was just like repeating that over and over again in the huddle. Yeah. So eventually my buddy took me, uh, helped me to the sideline because I was having trouble walking and I have like chronic leg cramps. So everyone always thought I was just like cramping. Right. But when I sat down on the bench, my athletic trainer checked me out and I kept repeating myself like my brain hurts. I can't feel my legs over and over again. Now you, and you remember that portion of it. Uh, this is all like retold to me. I see. Okay. Yeah. So I, so you get hit, you're on the ground, you, you're injured, but you jump right up, right? The adrenaline jumps you right up. You get back into the huddle and you're like, all right, I don't yeah, feel so I, good. And honestly, if my friend didn't help me to this island, like, I probably would have tried to line up again. Okay. You killed yourself. I, I almost did. Right. Um, so on, I was sitting on the bench, my athletic trainer, there's doctors on the sideline too. And they wanted to take a look at me to see what was going on. My dad was on the sideline with me. No idea who he was. And, uh, but when my athletic trainer took a different perspective, she noticed that I was like gazing with my eyeballs, like towards the right side. So I was just like staring right. And she had a background as like a, in EMS. So she's seen a lot of car wrecks and sure. like people with brain bleeds. So that's an indication that I had a brain bleed. Okay. So as soon as she saw that, she called for a helicopter and the doctors were like, why are you calling for a helicopter? Like he's talking to us, he's cognizant. And literally like, as soon as she called for it, I collapsed uh, on the bench and my cleats were stuck in the ground. So when I seized, I had a grand mal seizure. I kind of like stiffened up and I knocked the entire bench over that I was sitting on. Oh my goodness. Uh, and at that point, uh, they were just trying to get me to the helicopter landing spot. It was like a baseball field a couple miles down the road. But at that point, I wasn't breathing. I was, was seizing and my athletic trainer didn't think that I was going to survive based off of how I was presenting. Mm-hmm. So just before we got to the helicopter, this is when I start to remember some things. And it's because I like woke up. Now you're on the field and you're having a seizure yep. and you have a brain bleed, you stop breathing. Who saved your life? My athletic trainer, 100%, because I told you it was foggy that night. There was like a five minute window that that helicopter yeah. was going to be able to land. And right. it was like right at that time. Wow. So had it not been the case, I don't know if I would have gotten the care as quickly as I would have needed sure. um, to, to do that. But yeah, they eventually, I woke up uh, in the, in the ambulance to the bag valve mask breathing for me. And I pushed it away cause it was like uncomfortable. Sure. But before that I wasn't breathing. So, uh, yeah, get in the helicopter, get to the hospital. And at that point I'm cognitively there. Like I can have a conversation with you. I remember everything up to the point of when I collapse on the field and they, so what the doctors don't really even believe that I had a grand mal seizure because I'm so cognitively with it. Right. But when they go in and do the CAT scan, 
they see that I have a midline shift in my brain, which shows significant swelling in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then there's a subdural and a subarachnoid hematoma, which are fancy words for a brain bleed. Right. So I had two brain bleeds and this, this brain swelling. And at that point, they pretty much told my parents that I had a 50% chance of surviving through the night, not even to mention how I would cognitively, you know, end up after this whole ordeal. Right. So... Oh, your parents must have just been beside themselves. Oh, yeah. And I've got, like, the ultimate helicopter mom of, like... Yeah. And she was actually on a business trip in Florida mm-hmm. at the time. And she was in the air while all this was happening. So she lands to, like, all these missed calls, text messages oh and gosh. stuff. Um, so she got dropped right off the, at the hospital. So you're in there, and they bring you right in for surgery, obviously. Uh not actually, they were hoping that the bleeds, because I was cognitively okay, okay. they were hoping to not have to drill into my skull. Right. So they were hoping that the brain, the bleeds would kind of like subside on their own, but it was actually only getting worse as the days progressed. So I think the game was on a Friday. I'm pretty sure I had the surgery on Sunday. Okay. Um, but basically, yeah, they had to perform a craniotomy. And as I'm getting wheeled into surgery, the doctors literally told me that I would never set foot on a football field again, which at that point in time, as a 17-year-old high school senior, that's all I cared about. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play college football. I, that was how I proved my worth to the world sure. was through this football field. Right. So obviously that was devastating. Um, I can, no, I can imagine. So then they, so you have this, the procedure, they have to cut a piece of your skull out. Yeah. And you still, we were talking about before the show, you still have a, there's an open spot on your head, a soft spot on your head from it. Yeah, so I have a hole like the size of a quarter in my head, and they originally did cover that hole with the a, the bone flap that they took out. But about a month after the surgery, I woke up and my head was like swollen out to the side, right. and I realized that I probably had an infection. So I went back to the hospital, and they ended up removing the bone flap, which was the cause of the infection. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much told me like the risk of having a hole in my head didn't outweigh the risk of going in for another surgery to put a prosthetic bone flap over my whole, the hole in my head. No, it makes sense. And you know, and you're blessed because it didn't wreck your hairline at all. To be honest, my first scar from the first surgery was way worse than the second. (laughs) I mean, it looks perfect. Thanks. I mean, the guy, the the second surgeon like actually fixed like my scar. So you can barely see it now. Yeah. I'm a big haircut guy too. So like, I like the, the fades of the barber. It's high and tight. I know. So right. Look, looks good. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, you know what? And that's, uh, and we're chatting a little bit about this before the show. So it's about a six month recovery physically from what happened to you. But the bigger issue is the mental aspect of it. Right, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, I was able to play baseball my senior year. Okay. So that, I mean, I got back to sports, uh, at least a non-contact sport. But yeah, honestly, like the mental turmoil of losing that identity of being a football player and an athlete right. is what kind of tormented me for honestly, like the next 10 years after that. I can imagine. Um, it was, it was tough to, to deal with. So you end up going to Rutgers. Yep. Right. And you graduated from Rutgers with what type of a degree? I got my degree in sport management, which is uh, what every realtor's uh, degree is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I talked to all my sport management buddies and like literally no one's working in sports. So it's yeah. like, yeah, classic uh, sport management degree. But yeah, I went did, did sport management, so technically exercise science and sports studies. All right, you got that. You got that from Rutgers, and then I know he's not going to say it, but then you got a master's degree from Georgetown. Yeah, so I was super passionate about sports health and safety, and kind of like player advocacy uh, when it came to sports injuries and stuff like that. And I had these big dreams of changing the culture of football, and you know, all things that I felt like led up to the severity of my injury. Sure, and. Georgetown had a relationship with 
the NFL Players Association, which is the union for the players. Mm -hmm. And they obviously were dealing with a lot of concussion stuff and player safety related things. Oh, it's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. And a lot of the professors in the Georgetown program worked at the NFLPA. So in my head, I'm like, oh, this is money, dude. Like, I'm going to do this master program, get my internship at the NFLPA. You're going to change the world. And then change the world right off into the promised land. And I checked most of those boxes, did the internship, made the connections. But when it came down to actually landing the job, actually my injury the history of my injury and me being as vocal about it as I was is what ultimately led me to not working at the NFL PA. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You were, yeah. So that was disappointing. And I ended up moving back home to New Jersey to fall into a job with a physical therapist who helped me after my injury. I, I got to back up for one second. Yeah. And this is no slight on we're huge football fans. We chatted about that before, but the vocality of your injury Right. And the fact that you were hurt playing football and this is what happened to you probably wasn't a great look for the NFL would be my guess. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, the NFL definitely wouldn't want to be like promoting this kind of story because you want to have as many kids playing football as possible. And to be honest, like I'm far enough removed from the NFL PA that I'm not really worried about what I say on camera about it. But at the end of the day, the NFL PA wants what's in the best interest for the players, right. especially when it comes to money. So anything that they view as something that's going to be a detriment to them making as much money as possible for the players right. is like, yeah, we're not not doing that. Yeah. It makes sense. It's a business. Again, but there yeah. are some amazing people that work there that do incredible things yeah. to make strides towards making the game safer. And I will say in the last 10 years or 12 years since I've been out from there, the amount that's happened in the game of football to make the game safer, I could see it on on the field. Yeah, you know, I see plays where a guy would have got decapitated four years ago versus yeah. now he's just getting tackled. That's great. It's great the strides that they've made with it. I mean, you remember playing in high school or me? You know, I'm in the in the '80s somewhere. I can remember getting hit in the head, and it was like, I mean, you had a concussion immediately. You oh, yeah. fall to the ground. I was telling you before the show, I was telling Kevin, three of the kids on my, my football team where I went, they all made the NFL, two of them running backs. And I can remember getting hit by one of them on a kickoff return. I mean, I must have been out cold for five minutes. Then you wake up and you're like, oh boy, and you run back into the huddle and you didn't feel right for like a month right. after something like that. So it's great to see they're making strides in the right area. Were you in the wedge? Yes. Yeah, I, that is the best rule that they got that they made that you can't do a wedge anymore because yeah, I have so many stories about just getting absolutely demolished in the wedge. Um, I'm glad they did away with that. But when you told me the story about the being on kick return, I'm like he was definitely in the wedge, definitely in the wedge, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and I'm all five foot nothing, right? So you're playing the intensity with how hard you feel like you need to play. It's reckless abandon, right. as you remember. Yeah, throw your body out there. That's it. Throw your body out there, and you know what? Whatever happens, happens. But uh, but again, to your to your point, the NFL's done some amazing things for uh, player safety, for kids playing in high school and in Pop Warner and everything like that. Which yeah. is great strides they've made. So all right, so you get out of so you leave Georgetown, and you get into the healthcare field. Yeah. So the physical therapist that worked with me after my injury to kind of get my weight back, uh, he I just happened to talk to him on the phone, and he had a job available in his physical therapy office. Uh, that basically was just like cleaning tables. It's like a rehab aid. It's like I help patients with exercises and clean the tables and get ice packs for people. It was very like entry level job, but I was bored. So I kind of transitioned that into like a research role in the sports medicine department where again, I wasn't working on like these sports health and safety initiatives that I would have loved to work on. It was kind of these other ancillary projects and I was just bored. So I kind of developed this podcast 
uh, stemming from my injury. Right. All about transitioning life after sports, overcoming injury, illness, obstacle uh, that you know, I did for almost five years. That's great. And I know you did a couple hundred episodes on the podcast. And what's the name of the podcast? It's called Heads and Tails. So it was like heads as in multiple heads, the letter N, and then T or tails spent T-A-L-E-S, like you're telling a story. Right. Now, did you love doing the podcast? You love doing it? Yeah, I loved every second of it. Yeah. I wish I could have made more money doing it. I love doing yeah. it, and it, it gave me a great skill set for what I'm doing now. Right. So, yeah. Uh, that That's great. Now, and you had, you were looking at the transformation of life after sports in talking through these podcasts, correct? Right. Yeah. So what I alluded to earlier is that I had that turmoil in my head after losing that identity of being a football player. So what I've since learned through some other people that have come on the podcast, which I started the podcast to learn from myself partially and yeah. to help other people. And you're are, talking about players that had been injured in sports, correct? These are the generally the guests. Yeah. Okay. Or other entrepreneurs or things, people, athletes that have other things going on that Got they're it. not just athletes. They do other things. Right. I learned eventually that one of my, and it was brought up to me in an interview that I was doing on that podcast. And he was talking about the transition to life. I was mentioning like, we talk about the transition to life after sports. He's like, oh yeah, the transformation. I'm like, oh, I never heard of it talked about that way yeah. because transition is like, you're just kind of, you know, getting battered around by the waves and like life's happening to you. You're not as in control versus mm. transformation. You're doing something. You have to do something to transform. It takes action. And the podcast was that transformation to me. It was the action that I needed to prove to myself that I'm not just an athlete. I'm not just a football player. I can do way more things. I'm way more creative than just playing a sport. So that kind of gave me the the confidence to move on. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love that. That's a nugget there for anyone listening. Transformation, that word, that's an action word. It's not, you're not transformed. You're not transforming. You're the transformation of anything. That's the action that it takes to go to another level of what you're trying to accomplish. It's fantastic. Yeah, shout out to Vince Ruiz, uh, who I'm still buddies with today, who coined that that term for me, but I kind of just ran with it. Uh, that's that's great. Thanks, Vince. Yeah. So, all right, so now you're doing the podcast. We do the podcast for several years, doing a couple hundred episodes. How do you end up in real estate? Yeah, so actually that guy that I was just talking about, Vince Ruiz, um, he had some, he, he was a military guy, and he was doing some event out in Denver where he met these two realtors one of them is a veteran also, who are crushing it with this YouTube channel mm -hmm. as a lead generation source. So I had been trying to apply for some med device sales jobs, which seemed like a natural progression from the healthcare job that I had mm -hmm. and was not having any luck in landing any of them. So when he mentioned this, I'm like, oh, like this kind of matches the skill set of what I did with the podcast. I enjoyed that part. If I can make money you know, with digital marketing, with selling real estate and doing it this way, I think I would really enjoy this. Right. So I pretty much just said, I'm, I'm doing it. And I think the injury and near death experience gave me a level of urgency that I'm not willing to just wait around to see what happens with my job. Like right. I know tomorrow's not promised. Um, my, like I said, my, my father-in-law literally passed away two, two weeks ago. Yeah. I'm sorry uh, to hear that from, you know, that was, it was unexpected. So I'm just right. saying like tomorrow's not promised. And I, ever since my injury, I've just had this level of urgency of like, no, I'm doing it and I'm going for it. And I'm just going to put everything that I have uh, into doing it. So, you God. know, just along those lines for a second, you know, what's interesting, anyone that's ever had, I should say ever, but if, when people have a near death experience, they come out of it 
reborn a lot of the times. To your point, I mean, you're looking at life from a completely different perspective. Now, granted, when you were hurt, you were a lot younger than you are today, but you come out of it understanding and appreciating life and not getting up in the morning saying, oh, all right, well, I got this problem, this problem, this problem. It becomes a transformational time to say, well, let me look at the opportunity. Let me look at what makes me happy. Let me find the value of the journey that I'm going to day in and day out. And it just seems like it's a reoccurring theme with people that have had something significant happen to them like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel grateful that I had that experience looking back on it today because it has given me that urgency and it's given me maybe the confidence to yeah. just go for it because you got nothing to lose. Right. So, yeah, I guess that's... Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Well, I want to get into a little bit more detail about going from the podcast and then what you're doing in real estate right now. But before we go there, Kevin, we're going to take a quick break. Kevin, so I'm Greg Wareham, Your Mortgage Process. We'll be right back at you. I'm feeling minutes. the vibe. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Your Mortgage Process. We have Kevin Som here today, of course, Greg Wareham. So, all right. So, Kevin, so we segue out of the podcast and then you, you know, Vince, your friend Vince, that was doing real estate out in Denver, correct? Well, Vince knew guys who were doing real estate. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And all right. And you just opened my eyes to the, the opportunity. Have you ever, had, did you ever think about real estate prior to that? Uh, I don't know if real estate specifically, like I used to love architecture like okay. as a kid, like I did the CAD classes in, um, in high school and stuff like that. But I never really thought that that was a thing uh, that or it could be a thing until I saw these guys, the, my high property brothers in. Colorado and what they were doing. Now, did you picture yourself as you kind of matured in life as being a salesperson? Because I mean, let's face it again, I mean, you're in Georgetown, you got a master's degree, you're on the policy end of things. I'm going to sales. That's a shift. That's a shift in paradigm. Did you see that coming? Uh, I didn't see it coming, I guess, but I always gravitated towards like more entrepreneurial things. That's mm. what got me excited. Got you it. You know, like I, the podcast was entrepreneurial. The, I have like a little side hustle candle business that helped me gather enough cash to make the transition from my previous job to, you know, cover me for a few months. Uh, I built websites for people. Like I was always doing these like little side hustle things and like I would stay up all night doing them and I didn't care. Like I was up till 2 a.m. working on this stuff and because I felt like it was a worthy cause and it was creative and I was doing it, that it just got me going. So in my head, the sales world is more entrepreneurial and Mm -hmm. what you get in is what you get out and you eat what you kill. And I just like that. I I was willing to bet on myself that I could make it happen. Sure. You know, and it's amazing too, when you're entrepreneurial, which, which I can relate to, it's that it really feeds that creative energy and it's really the creative energy that motivates you on a day in and day out basis, right? What am I building? What am I creating? What am I doing? And, you know, sales, you know, it's funny, you walk in the room, first thing I think, oh man, this guy's a sales guy. He looks so hard. <laughs> you know, you got a great personality. And, but you learn over the course of time, you know, what, how do I fit myself into what I'm meant to do, right? right? Okay, so you meet some people out in Denver, and what happens? I honestly never even met them. I, they have a podcast called okay. uh, Day One Dollar Zero. Okay. And it just talks about like literally the part of my life that I was at where like, I'm leaving my job. I've got nothing. I have no income coming in. I've got no health insurance. Now shout out to my wife because she's a stud and, uh, <laughs> she, she crushes it. Shout out to the wives. Yeah. Let's go. I hear that. Honestly, I couldn't do it without her. Yeah. Like she, because she does so well in her profession, it, it was less of a risk for me to do this. And she's been supportive of mm-hmm. that. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I just really was interested in what they were doing with that YouTube stuff with the, because I was seeing that no other realtors in my area were really doing it. And if they mm -hmm. were, it wasn't that great. Right. So, I mean, to me, there was like, the opportunity is just prime to, to take right. it. So you start your own YouTube channel. Yeah. I, I started it probably I don't know, four months after I got my, after I quit my job and started doing real estate full time. Mm -hmm. And it's been a slow burn. It's my channel is called living in Morris County. Okay. But I talk about, you know, the pros and cons of living in, you know, towns in my area, neighborhood tours. I got the GoPro suction cup to my truck that I drive around neighborhood. So if you see a, a truck with tinted out windows and a, and a GoPro <laughs> strapped to the window <laughs> and drones flying around, it's, it's probably me. I'm not like looking in your window. I'm just trying to make some good content for bringing great people to your neighborhood potentially. That's great. Well, I want to back up for a second because you got to put that together mentally. I mean, I know from doing a podcast and different things, YouTube channels and things that we've done, it's not that easy. First, you got to kind of visualize what it you, what you want it to look like, right? Yeah. So as you're kind of writing this stuff down as to what I want to do, what you want to do, what do you think was the most important part of it? Uh, in terms of like just starting strategy. The, yeah. The strategy of yeah. doing. So again, I'm not going to claim that I like invented the realtor YouTube channels yeah. at all. Yep. I, I'm just taking bits and pieces of people who I think are doing it great uh, and then iterating off of that to make it my own. And I think that's why I like the creativity is that there's a proven concept that it works. Yeah. I know it works. Yeah. And if you do it a certain way and stick to the script, it's, it's going to work. Hey, imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah. Right. So we take, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to make it our wheel. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's really hard to do the videos. Yeah. And I just, when I was recording the first few. I'm like, there is no way other realtors are going to do this. Like they're going to do one video <laughs> and be like, yeah, this is way too hard and quit. But I saw the opportunity in that. It's like, I did the podcast for five years. I did 200, you know, interviews. I did weekly interviews for probably three years straight. And that is a commitment it and is. a discipline that I am very grateful for that I had that experience because when I was doing those first few videos and I wanted to quit and I wanted to say, wow, this is horrible and so uncomfortable and I, I hate it. I saw that as the opportunity because I knew that I've already proven that I had the discipline and a commitment. I could yeah. do it. And I just like, I don't, think other realtors, I'm sure there will be. And if you are and you want to learn more about it, I'm more than willing to talk about how I how I go about it. Yeah. But I would say 99% of realtors, it, this is not for them. Yeah, well, no, to your point, it's very difficult to do. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline. You know, Nick and I have spoken about it in the past after doing this show for going on two years now. Like the burnout rate for doing these things are what, Nick, 95%? Something like that. Nick's giving me the head nod. So 95% because it's hard. Right. It's hard to come up with content. It's hard to come up with material. It's hard to be entertaining. It's hard to make it interesting. Right. Right. Because real estate in and of itself, you know, people are interested in, in home ownership and architecture and things like that. But it's got the, the content has to be delivered in a fashion that engages people. Right. And there's a talent to do that. And there's planning that goes along with that. And there's consistency to get better at it. Yeah. And to me, selling real estate, like I'm not. I don't even look at it as like selling. I look at it as like, I'm helping. Right. Because you want a house? All right, well, I'm here to help you. I know exactly what you need to do to beat out 23 offers that are on a house. Right. You know, if you want to do it, I'm here to help you. I can help you execute. And if you're trying to sell your house for the most amount of money, I can help you with that too. Right. If you don't want to, all right, well, then I can help you with something else. I'll 
take your trash in or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I'm just I use pick up your dry clay then. That's <laughs> yeah. That's I'm just saying, like, I'm not selling a product. Like the product is me, is yeah. my standard level of how I execute everything I do. So it's when it was the podcast, it was putting out content to the right. best of my ability every single week. Just like now, it's putting out YouTube videos every single week that it's, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to provide information to You're people. You're educating. Educating, yeah. yeah. And it's coaching and it's it's fun. Like, I, it's hard. And through the podcast and stuff, when we were talking, we were just saying like how things are hard. Yeah. Right? I feel like my injury was as severe as it was because of how I viewed the definition of toughness. And... The definition of tough is how I looked at it when I was 17 was like, all right, how big are my muscles? You know, playing hurt. You know, how many girls are in the stands like cheering for you or wearing your jersey? That in my head was like, that's tough. You had girls wearing your jersey? Because yeah, I asked them to. <laughs> Let's go, Kevin. I'm so jealous. Yeah, not literally because I asked them to. Good. I'm sorry. Um, but through the podcast, I learned that toughness is none of that. Right. That's that's like running on default and like not thinking at all. That's just like blind toughness. What toughness really is is doing the hard thing. Yeah, and that's where the real growth happens. Exactly, yeah. doing the hard thing, stepping into the unknown. That's the that, that's toughness. Yeah, and you have the ability to choose to do those things every single day. Yeah. When I was driving here today, I had an hour drive. I had a list of phone calls. Like I'm trying to with the team. They have like this push this month to have 120 contacts. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to call my sphere so that everyone knows that I'm selling real estate now. So on the way here, I'm like, all right, I really don't want to. I would really love to just listen to a podcast for an hour drive down here. But you know what? I'm going to make my phone calls. Yeah. I'm going to make this productive. And I, I did it. I had two great conversations with people who, you know, some maybe they'll great. want to buy a house or sell a house. So. You know what? And along that the toughness, you know, I look at that and call it perseverance, right? And I think that that's one of the strongest attributes of any business person, any entrepreneur, any individual. How well can you persevere? Because anybody can try anything. But the pattern for people generally is I'm going to try to do something and I'm willing to work and engage in it. But if I do not receive the results I was looking for in however I've defined that period of time, I back out of it and I do something else, you know, versus going after a day after day after day. You know, a good analogy is you're chopping down a tree, right? So you could go out every day with your ax and you could take a swing at, you take two swings at a tree day one. Next day you come out and say, hey, that tree didn't fall. I'm going to go to the other tree. Take two swings. It doesn't fall. And next thing you know, you've taken a swing at 100 different trees on your lot. Or you can come out every day and look at that tree and say, two, day, two swings every day and eventually that tree is going to fall. So you either have a tree that fell or you have a bunch of damaged trees sitting in your yard because you didn't have the perseverance and the consistency to go about doing it. You, you definitely sound like a Rutgers guy. <laughs> I told you I got two kids at Rutgers. Yeah, Chiano's. That's like Chiano's whole thing. Like, uh, chop. is it? Yeah, that's why he literally talks about like going through a forest and like literally yeah, chopping down the tree. But like every day, just going after that tree until it falls, then work on the next one. But yeah, that's like Rutgers football's like slogan is chop. Uh, chop that's the, the name moment. of the game. Yeah, it's true though. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what life's all about, and those are the battles, and you have to enjoy taking those swings. And I think that we get blinded at times to. See what's in the way of taking the swings, right? Or, oh man, I gotta take two to five swings at this tree today. What are you kidding me? Versus getting up and being like, man, I can't wait to get these swings in. 
because I'm going to knock that tree down eventually and having the vision to be able to do that. So anyway, I, I, I digress. We have, the, we have the YouTube channel and you're out and about and you're showing different properties. Walk me through what you're doing when you're out there. Uh, yeah. So like when I'm actually doing the videos itself, I mean, it really depends on the type of video I'm doing. Like sometimes like yesterday I did a screen recording of a map tour. I did a map tour of town using Google earth. Right. So just to like specifically show where certain things are in relation to others, because if I just do a neighborhood tour, you might not get that same perspective. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm out there with the GoPro doing vlogs. Uh, I just did the, there's a big long trail in Morris County called the Columbia trail. It's 16 miles long. Mm -hmm. I did a vlog of the whole entire thing of like what you see along the way. I stopped at a coffee shop. There's a Clydesdale farm. I was actually able to pet the Clydesdales. There was all sorts of other scenery along the way, That's but awesome. I'm trying to give people a boots on the ground. Yeah. A day in the life for like what it's like to live in these areas. Because I actually just talked to a client that I got through my YouTube channel last week and he's like, yeah, honestly, man, like without your content, it's like forums from like 20 years ago to learn about what people are like, what it's like to live in certain areas. Sure. It's like those, yeah, like what the, the moms, you know, all comment on you know, right. stuff like that. But I'm like, it's working. <laughs> no, know, no, no, no. It's, it's great. It's the day in the life. People, hey, yeah. what's it like to live here? Yeah. I'm driving by horse farms. I still have accessibility to Manhattan. You can work and live in Morristown. Yeah. You can take the train to the city. You can do all sorts of different. I used to work in Morristown. It's a beautiful town. Uh, I love that whole Morris County area. Yeah. So do you do any type of comparisons between homes to say, hey, here's what you get for your money in particular areas? So I'll, in my neighborhood tours, like I, I do talk about price points in each neighborhood. So you can see like, all right, well, maybe that neighborhood's out of my price range, but this one is. Right. And then I also do comparisons of towns. So like, all right, you might like Long Valley or Mount Olive. They're right next to each other. Right. They have, both have great schools. But like this one's got lower median home sale price yeah. versus this one. So this one you might be able to afford easier than the other uh, town. So yeah, I do a lot of a lot of comparisons, and I try to let people kind of dictate what content I produce just by questions that they ask. You know what would be a fun one on there? What's it cost to be in the homes? Hey, you see this house in this particular area? You could be in this house. This is approximately what your payment would look like. Yeah, I now, mean, granted that changes day to day. I might know a mortgage guy yeah. <laughs> that could help you with that. That'd be fun because people want to know, okay, if I want to be in this house, this beautiful area, what's it look like? Yeah. And can Cost I afford to be in there? Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, they got to they gotta call Kevin if they're going to go see the property. Yeah, because like the, the monthly payment is probably what people mostly care about, right? Yeah, definitely. Especially in a market like this where we've seen the escalation in prices over the course of time and we've seen the escalation in interest rates at the end of the day comes down to, is the property affordable for me or is it not? And there's two different types of affordability. There's what you qualify for on paper, excuse me, and then there's, what am I comfortable paying, right? And there can be two totally different numbers. I was just oh, yeah. having that conversation with someone this morning. Well, you can support a $5,000 a month mortgage payment on paper, you qualify, but do you want to spend, spend that much? No, I want it to be 3800 a month. Okay, well, let's refine our search and this is what we're looking for. But it's just that education, to your point, and what you're doing is, hey, what does this look like and what does it cost? Right. And that's the, the first step in the home buying process um, to, to really have a feel for, yeah, what am I comfortable with? What, what can I do? And then what am I comfortable with in terms of a, a monthly payment? Yeah. And, you know, taking a page out of your book or, or my book about the, the optimism associated with it, when you're purchasing a home, that's supposed to be fun. 
right? You don't work with guys like Kevin, work like with people like myself to understand the process, you know, enjoy the process and be comfortable with it, right? Because when you move in, you don't want to think about how you're going to pay your mortgage. You want, you want to live. And at the same time, you want to be able to be in that house at the same time. So uh, anyway, what else, what other type of things do we do on the road on the YouTube channel? Um, I mean, that's pretty much the bulk of it. Like I think today um, there's a carnival in Chester. I'm going to bring the drone and try to get some content and do a little video with this, this fireman's carnival. But in the fall, cause you know, I'm a big football guy. Yeah. I make these like Instagram reels for the high school kids. Like I go to the games and I'll take like Great. these highlight video type things and just put a reel together, tag a bunch of kids, and like they blow up. Like the kids absolutely love them. Oh, that's and great. The parents love them and they get all shared around. But like I have fun doing that because I'm a sports guy. So like sure. I love the aesthetic of just the little nuances of a game, like grabbing a drink of water or, you know, the celebration after a touchdown where the you know, teammate lifts the, the guy in the air. And obviously I bring the drone because that's like, the, the money maker. So I do like a little spin around the field and try to get like some really cool videos for a population that usually doesn't get cool videos. Right. Um, That's fantastic. I love that idea. Hey, look, at the end of the day, it's yes, it's great branding, but more importantly, kids love it, making people happy. You're capturing moments that generally aren't captured that people can reflect on and appreciate. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's fun. Oh, I love it. You're a great guy, Kevin. Thanks, Greg. You know, I, likewise. You're good. It's been easy conversation. We just met, but it's uh, it feels like we've known each other for forever. So I appreciate the, the hospitality and well, it's great to it's great to have you. So if someone's up in Morristown and they were looking to purchase a home out there, or even more importantly, if they wanted to become educated on the marketplace, Kevin, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, a few ways. I mean, you could find me on Instagram at just Kevin dot or my email address is Kevin at Kevin Som.com. and. Those are probably my the two best ways. You can call me. I feel like most people just be easier. Just well, what's your phone number? All right, 908-892-2892. Here, give it to us one more time. That was fast. 908-892-2892. Uh, call Kevin. That's your market. And then the YouTube channel, how do we follow that? Like, we got to follow everything. Yeah, the handle is technically just like living in Morris County. Living in Morris County. Yeah. I, I eventually want to scale it to other areas. But for totally. For now, and, yeah. you know, I'm thinking that as you're talking, because we're doing something very similar in that that vlogging the, a day in the life type of thing. But we're Jersey Shore oriented. Yeah. Right. But you could take that model once you master it. You could certainly start to move that into different areas yeah, and teach great. other agents to to be the advocate or spokesperson in whatever area it is. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So if an agent was looking to contact you, you're open for them reaching out to you to say, Hey, how do you set this up? And what, Oh yeah, like? for sure. If you're a realtor listening to this and you're interested in trying to, if the YouTube thing sounds like it's interesting to you, yeah, definitely send me an email or shoot me a text or call me. I'd be glad to. It's interesting it. to everyone. It's, you know, can they get there? Yeah. Right? Are, you, are you, if you're willing to put the work in and execute right. and not make money for off of it for <laughs> a year. Yeah. Uh, be, be my guest. I'm glad to talk to you about it. <laughs> I'm your guy. Yeah. But I mean, all the people who do, who are successful with this YouTube stuff, they always say like, got to give at least six months to a year before you'll actually start generating yeah. any kind of leads from it, which I'm finding to be pretty accurate. It's time over task. And I think even more importantly, you truly need to enjoy what you're doing because to your point, you know, it's not going to make you rich overnight. There's not a ton of money in it, but if your focus is on providing education value to peers in the field, to the consumer, to the community, 
then you're doing the right thing. Right. And you can really enjoy doing that. Yeah. And I think from your perspective, like one of the first houses I sold last year, earlier in my career came from someone who I grew up with, but I wasn't like super good friends with her, but I had her on my podcast. Yeah. So I spent two hours with her talking about her story and, you know, the struggles that she overcame and she knew plenty of other realtors, but I honestly think that because of that time that we had together mm -hmm. to talk about her story and the effort that I put into making her episode great, that she called me first right, to, to do that and, and to give me a chance. So I'm just saying from your perspective, even if it's people who aren't listening, like for me personally, we have a much stronger connection now. Yeah you know, than we ever would have had, you know, uh, you know for what? me listening. So. Yeah. You know what? Life is about people. Yeah. And it's about relationships, about getting to know people. It's getting to understand people and it's getting to communicate. It's communicating with people. And I think that we as a society have a tendency to complicate that. I think politically that there's not a lot of advantage there either. I think, you know, media as well kind of can polarize people, but at the end of the day, each other's all we have. So if we invest the time and the energy into one another, great things happen and, and we could do anything. Agreed, Greg. Yeah. So perfect, man. Hey, you know what, Kevin? Thanks so much for taking the time today. I know you're taking the trek down here. Kevin Som, give your phone number one more time, please, Kevin. It's 908-892-2892. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's been great. Thanks for the opportunity, Greg. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. And you have a great story. And if anyone needs anything in the area, please reach out to Kevin. For everybody out there, we appreciate you listening today. Kevin Som, Greg Wareham, Your Mortgage Process. Look forward to catching up with you next week, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.